anyone glad they came this morning? Was anyone thinking, oh, I wonder if I should go to church or not? Nah. Now, some of you were. I'm sure some of you were. Man, I love just coming into the environment of faith. Sometimes we need somebody else to help us, don't we, to get into that environment this morning. Well, Cassie is going to help us. She's going to come around the word this morning. We had her on the roster before she went and had surgery. They brought her surgery date early. And um, so now she's preaching uh, while she is still receiving her miracle. Amen. And uh, we're in for a treat this morning. So why don't you put your hands together for our pastor, Cassia. Thank you. Thank you. Well, it is good to be here. I'm glad that I could um, manage to hobble up here. I feel a little bit, um, yes, worse for wear, but that's okay. If you don't know, I had some surgery um, repairing a tendon in my hip, um, stitching it back to the bone. And um, as well as it is healed, I still have to stay off my foot for, for the full six weeks. So it's been three and a bit. So I'm counting down the days and so is Garen. <laughs> Very much so. Um, I'm going to talk to you guys this morning about a God-ordained relationship. How's that sound? Sounds good? Okay, good. Um, something that is very close to my heart and, um, and something that I'm hoping you are going to be able to take home today. There is something for everyone, so, so stick, stick with me, okay? Stick in it. Um, I want to read to you guys first from Matthew 19, um, from 4 to 6. It says, he answered, Haven't you read in your Bible that the Creator originally made man and woman for each other, male and female? And because of this, a man leaves father and mother and is firmly bonded to his wife, becoming one flesh, no longer two bodies, but one. Because God created this organic union of the two sexes, no one should desecrate his art by cutting them apart. What therefore, the NLT says, what therefore God has joined together, let man not separate. You know, this is the clearest statement in the Bible that marriage is not merely human doing. Marriage was ordained by God. It says the words, God has joined together, which means it's God's doing, doesn't it? It's God's doing. This morning, I want to talk to you guys, not just about marriage, but about another beautiful God-ordained relationship. And that's the relationship between Christ and the church. We are his bride. He refers to the church as his bride. And I, I love and I've always loved all of the, the comparisons uh, in scriptures between a marriage union between a husband and wife and a marriage union of the church between Christ and his bride, us. And so this morning, that's what I'm going to do. But I'm going to read to you guys um, a nice chunk of scripture from Ephesians 5. And Paul knew what he was talking about. He was a good man. Good man, Paul. So Ephesians 5, I'm going to start at verse 21. Read along with me if you like, but it's in the message, as I usually do, just to trick you all. I noticed that scripture you read was from the message this morning, wasn't it? Oh, look out, I'm rubbing off on him. 16 years, has it been, to rub off on you? All right, so Ephesians 5, starting at verse 21. Out of respect for Christ, 
Be courteously reverent to one another. Wives, understand and support your husbands in ways that show your support for Christ. The husband provides leadership to his wife the way Christ does to his church, not by domineering, but by cherishing. So just as the church submits to Christ as he exercises such leadership, wives should likewise submit to their husbands. All the husbands usually cheer here, but then they know what's coming next, so that's, I'm guessing, why it's silent. Husbands, go all out in your love for your wives. Exactly as Christ did for the church, a love marked by a love marked by giving, not getting. Christ's love makes the church whole. His words evoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring out the best of her, dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness. What a picture, hey! And that is how husbands ought to love their wives. They're really doing themselves a favor since they're already one in marriage. No one abuses his own body, does he? No, one, no, he feeds and pampers it. That's how Christ treats us, the church, since we are part of his body. And this is why a man leaves father and mother and cherishes his wife. No longer two, they become one flesh. This is a huge mystery and I don't pretend to understand it all. What is clearest to me is the way Christ treats the church, and this provides a good picture of how each husband is to treat his wife, loving himself in loving her, and how each wife is to honour her husband. Good, isn't it? A God-ordained and permanent union between Jesus and the church, between a husband and a wife. Human marriage is the earthly image, it's, it's almost the metaphor of this divine plan that God have to portray his love to the church, to be that, that perfect husband, that perfect groom. It was God's plan for the church to become one body, to become one body so that his plan for marriage to reflect this pattern and that husband and wife would become that one flesh as well. I want to break this up a little bit. That very first verse that we read, out of respect for Christ, be courteously reverent to one another. That's just awesome in itself, isn't it? Be courteously reverent to one another. Show respect to Christ by being respectful to one another. Wives, understand and support your husbands in ways that show your support for Christ. Did you know that by supporting and respecting your husband, you're showing support for Christ? Did you know that? That's a great thought. The thing that I love about this is it makes me think of the, um, the verse in the Bible that says, whatever you do, work, as it, work at it as though you were working for the Lord. So our marriage relationship, our relationships in the body of Christ, we're working on them as though we're doing it for God. We're doing to them the respect that we want to show God, the support that we want to show God is, is how we're, we're working, what we're working into our relationships. And this is what Christ does for the church. 
The husband, he provides leadership to his wife the way Christ does to the church, not by domineering, but by cherishing. So just as the church submits to Christ, as he exercises such leadership, then wives should likewise submit to their husbands. You know, a husband does not replace Christ's supremacy in a, in a woman's mind. You know, Christ is always the head. He's always the top. Therefore, you know, if a husband is trying to lead a wife into sin, she still has a headship that is higher than her husband's, that is higher um, to be able to submit to. But it does mean that this headship, that's a, that's a big responsibility for the guys. I was reading through this and I thought, I don't know, I feel like wives have really got out of it pretty easy. <laughs> I do feel like that. I feel like, oh, I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> that's a hard call. But you know what? There's, there's a, um, a thing in the Bible and it's talked about a lot in marriage, the love and respect and that the, the male needs the respect and the wife needs the love, but it's a circle. And so if the wife doesn't give the respect, the man doesn't want to give the love. And if the man doesn't get the respect, he doesn't want to get, do you know what I mean? It's a circle. So the wife has got to give that respect regardless of if the husband has really earned it or not. And the husband needs to cherish and love his wife regardless of if she's respecting him and feels like she deserves it or not. And this is the way that Christ does to us doesn't he? He gives love to us, his bride, whether we deserve it or not. And we need to be submitting to him. The difference is he deserves it. He will always deserve it. And so it should be a lot easier for us, shouldn't it? In theory. Husbands, go all out in the love for your wives, exactly as Christ did for the church, a love marked by giving, not getting. Christ's love makes the church whole. Christ's love makes the church whole. We've been talking a lot about being whole as a church, about the authority that we have in Christ, about the fact that you are already a whole person. Christ's love, by what Christ did on that cross for us, you are already whole. You just need to realize it. You are already whole. Big responsibility, as I said, for the guys Christ laid down his life for his bride. That's a big call, a big call. But do you know what, guys? Whether a wife feels ugly or beautiful depends very little on her physical appearance. And it depends much on the way her husband treats her. And wives, you need to know, you need to claim it. You need to take a hold of it and know that when your husband speaks loving words over you, feel it, feel beautiful. Don't, no, oh, no, no, I don't. No, oh, I've put on weight. Or, oh, I've got a big zitty. I ate too much chocolate at Easter time. Or no, no, I don't. Like, oh, I'm getting so old. You know, everything's sagging a bit. Claim it. If your husband is complimenting you, claim it. Claim it. This is how we feel beautiful. It's not to do with the outside appearance. It's to do with how... Your husband treats you. Husbands, there's a big, big hint there. <laughs> Make her feel beautiful. But wives, you need to believe it. You need to claim it. The same thing with Christ and the church. Christ has said so many beautiful things over you. He has, and we need to claim it. We need to claim it. 
husbands and wives, body of the church, you guys need to be your partner's biggest encouragers. You shouldn't be your, your partner's biggest critics. You should be their biggest encouragers. It means so much more coming from someone close, coming from someone close in the body, coming from someone in that oneness as well. The husbands providing spiritual leadership for their household. This spiritual leadership, you know what it made me think of? I'm going to read you Luke 22 verse 26. It says, kings like to throw their weight around and people in authority like to give themselves fancy titles. It's not going to be the way with you. This is Jesus talking. Let the senior among you become like the junior. Let the leader act the part of the servant. Let the leader become the one who serves. Leadership means servanthood. You know what? Um, this week when we were away, um, obviously staying in, in an apartment in a foreign environment and not having my, my family around me and my girls to wait on me, Garen has learned a lot in servanthood. He has truly been my servant. <laughs> Garen, can you help me put my pants on? Garen, can you move that chair from there to there? Garen, I've made my breakfast. Pass it over here. He's learned what it is to be a servant. Garen, push me over there. I want to have a look at that in my wheelchair, you know. He's, he's learned a lot in servanthood and he's loving it, I'm sure. He keeps saying three weeks to go, three weeks to go. Okay. But that, that's the kind of leadership that that Christ set the example for us. He became the servant, didn't he? He didn't come and on his high horse and throw his weight around, but he became the servant. And guys, you want your wife to respect you and your leadership. Leadership is servanthood, isn't it? You're really doing yourselves a favor since you're already one in marriage. Genesis 2.24, right back at the beginning, it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. I, I learned something this week. I went to a, um, one of the courses that uh, was run, little electives, was on marriage. And I went, yes, I'm going there, I'm getting there. And these, these, this couple who was leading it were very different they were very different personalities. He was an introvert and an early riser, and she was an extrovert and a, and a late riser, and, you know, late into the night she'd party. And they were just so different in all of these ways. And, um, and one thing I learned was that oneness isn't sameness. It's not, and you know what? As you look around in the body of Christ, you will realize as well, we're not all the same. We're not all the same. But we are still called to be one. In a husband and wife relationship, we're not going to think the same. And it's not meant to be like that. But we are still called to be one. We are. Opposites attract. This is another thing that I got. Opposites attract. But this is the next part. Then they attack. Does anyone else know what I'm talking about? Opposites attract, but then they attack. But then they attach. You know what? A lot of people don't move past that attack stage. You find yourself in this relationship, whether it's in marriage or someone in the body of Christ, and you're just so opposite, and you find yourself attacking one another. And no, that's not right. That's not the right way to do things. And that's not the right way to, to say things. And, you know, we're not the same. And it can sometimes be, you know, headbutts all the time, headbutts. But 
once you get past that stage, there's the attaching stage. And you need to move past that stage of attack to get to that stage of attach. And it's a fight. It's a fight. And it's a commitment to the oneness. It's a commitment to being that one flesh. The church is to become one flesh with Christ, to hold fast to him. It says that right back in the beginning, a man leaves his father and mother to become one with his wife. That means that we are to not have any other relationships, whether it be with father, mother, whoever else, family kind of relationships, friendships, that is to be above the one that we have with Christ. That relationship is to be the number one relationship. It should be the most intimate relationship. You talk about the two becoming one, that organic union of the two sexes, that's a very intimate relationship. That's very intimate. And that's the kind of relationship that we are called to have with Christ. Should be above any of our other relationships. We are to leave those relationships. It doesn't mean we forget people around us, but it means that that should be the most intimate relationship that we have. We are the body of Christ and he is the head. You know what? The body literally cannot survive without a head, can it? I remember um, when I was younger, we lived on a farm and we were very farm people. And um, we had a lot of outbuildings that, not toilets, it's in like buildings out around the farmhouse. And, um, and one of them we called the cutty head off place because that's where we would go whenever dad would go, it's time for this chook to become Sunday roast. And so we would go up to the cutty head off place and we'd all sit around and watch. Right now, I, I'm thinking, I don't quite get how excited we were about seeing that. But we would watch him do every part of it. And quite often, he would, I'm going to get a bit graphic here. He'd lay the chicken's head down across a, uh, a stump. And then with the axe, he would be decapitated. But quite often, this chicken would still have a little bit of life in him. And he would run around with a decapitated head for not very long, mind you, but he would run around without this head. And we all thought it was hilarious. We just thought that was the funniest thing ever. Right now, I really think that's quite disgusting. But anyway, humans aren't the same. If we're decapitated, there's no life. That's it. And you know what? If we are without the head, there is no life. There is no life in us. We have to have the attachment to the head to be able to have life in us, to be able to truly exist. And Gary reminded me as well, the head is the part of the body that tells the rest of the body how to function, doesn't it? So literally, without a head, your body doesn't know what to do. Without Christ, we are aimless, we are just lifeless. It's just, it's no existence, is it? It's no existence. Genesis 2.25, the very next verse after the one I read, says, the two of them, man and his wife, were naked, but they felt no shame. You know, this is how we are supposed to act. This is how God created it. To be naked is to have complete transparency, transparency, to have complete trust, to be, to be open completely 
No shame. This is how we're to be in a marriage relationship, is to be open, to be transparent, to have no shame. And this is how we are to be with God. If we really want to get the most out of our relationship with God, if we really want that true organic union, that God-ordained relationship of oneness, we are to be open, transparent with God. One of the preachers this week, he talked about this passage and it was amazing that when Adam and Eve sinned, they hid when they heard God coming, like God doesn't know where you are. <laughs> oh, where are you? God knew exactly where they were, but they hid. And God says, hey, where are you guys? What are you doing? And, and they said, oh, we hid because we were naked. And God says, thinking, you've been naked the whole time. You've never hidden from me. And God says the words, who told you you were naked? Whose voice have you been listening to? Because that's not my voice. I didn't tell you you were naked and that you should feel shame. That wasn't my voice. Whose voice have you been listening to? And you know what? We should never feel ashamed with God if we listen to His voice and who He tells us who we are. He tells us, could you chuck that slide up for me, please, Ella? He tells us that we are wonderfully made. He tells us that we are unique, that we are precious, that we are beautiful, we are strong, we are important, we are forgiven, we are loved, we are chosen. And he says, you are mine. You need to be listening to God's voice, not any other voices that tell you that you should be feeling shame for your past, shame for whatever you're in in the present. That's not what God has intended. I want to read to you guys another scripture. It's from Matthew 19. Again, Jesus' words. The last one's in Ephesians, obviously, with Paul's words. This is Matthew's words. The message is so hard because it has no verses. Okay, here we go. So I'm starting at verse 3, Matthew 19, verse 3. It says, One day the Pharisees were badgering him. Is it legal for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? And he answered, Haven't you read your Bible that the Creator originally made man and woman for each other, male and female? And because of this, a man leaves father and mother and is firmly bonded to his wife, becoming one flesh, no longer two bodies but one. Because God created this organic union of the two sexes, no one should desecrate his art by cutting them apart. They shot back in rebuttal. If that's so, why did Moses give instructions for divorce papers and divorce procedures? Jesus said, Moses provided for divorce as a concession to your hard-heartedness. But it is not part of God's original plan. I'm holding you to the original plan and holding you liable for adultery if you divorce your faithful wife and then marry someone else. I make an exception in cases where the spouse has committed adultery. Here we go. Jesus' disciples objected. If those are the terms of marriage, we're stuck. Why get married? That sounds way too hard. Jesus said, not everyone is mature enough to live a married life. It requires a certain aptitude and grace. Marriage isn't for everyone. Some from birth seemingly never give marriage a thought. Others never get asked or accepted, and some decide not to get married for kingdom reasons. But 
If you're capable of growing into the largeness of marriage, do it. I'm going to draw this conclusion again of God, Jesus, and his bride, the church. Faithfulness to God is not for the faint-hearted. It requires a certain maturity, a certain natural ability, a certain grace. But if you're capable of growing into this largeness, do it. Do it. You know what? The church and church life and being committed to God, it's not always an easy walk. It requires a lot of faithfulness, a lot of reminding yourself of the oneness that you want to be with Christ. And it's the same with marriage. It requires a lot of work. It requires you to remember that commitment that you made. Not just, marriage to a Christian is not just a contract for the law side of things. Marriage is a covenant, which has got not much to do with what you're getting, but a lot to do with what the other person can get out of it, what you can give to the other person. Your covenant that you made in marriage is what should keep you committed. You're working for God. You've made a commitment to God that you are going to stay faithful in your marriage. And in a church situation, you can make that commitment to be faithful with God, no matter how hard the times get, no matter how tough it gets, that you want to be able to enlarge yourself. And you know what? Marriage is one of those things that I believe that God, you know, gives us smaller kind of things to be able to, if you can be faithful in that, if you can be faithful in marriage, then I'm going to open up other things for you, other areas of possibility for you. If you can be faithful in being committed as a one body of Christ to be getting along with each other, then I will I will step up your role. I will give you more. I, you are going to be enlarged by that, definitely. You are going to be stretched by that. And then God can then open up bigger and better areas because you have enlarged yourselves. A little bit like what Dan was talking about in enlarging your tents and stretching out your stakes. You know, when you've got that largeness, you've got a bigger area of influence uh, and just God can, can give you so much more to deal with because you've stretched yourself to be able to become that. You know, the foundation of marriage is to be displayed, is the display, sorry, of the covenant of God. Marriage is a covenant between a man and a woman in which they promise to be faithful to each other for as long as they both shall live. And this covenant is sealed with solemn vows and a sexual union, and it's designed to showcase the covenant-keeping grace of God. Do you know what is all about God's grace? It is all about God's grace. You know what? God bought this it was a blood-bought grace that He could give to us. God has done so many things to be able to show us that we are His bride, His beautiful, sparkling, holy bride that He just thinks the world of and that He gave His life for. When we can truly get a hold of that, 
of this horizontal type grace, then we can truly get a hold of the vertical grace that we can extend to others. We need to know in ourselves that God, sorry, I did that the wrong way, didn't I? Yeah, anyway, thank you, you got me. So we need to know that God has a grace, has a love for us no matter what, no matter what. If you have been through divorce, if you have been through alcohol, drug, gambling, addictions, if you have been through, you know, infidelity, if you have been through anything, it doesn't matter because God's grace has covered you and has made you that perfect bride, that perfect, holy, white, clean, shining bride. And once we get a hold of that, we can truly extend that horizontally. There you go, I got it right this time. Horizontally extend that. You know what? It gives marriage a solid basis in grace since Christ obtained and sustains His bride by grace alone. God took all of our sins, failures, offences, selfish thinking, anger, resentment, and He put it on Jesus on the cross. He put not only my husband's sins, but my sins as well on the cross. Jesus didn't then go and brag about what He'd done. He didn't wave it in front of our faces or keep bringing it up and telling us all the reasons we really did deserve to go to hell. But, you know, I did something so wonderful to to save you and, you know, you really got to, you know, keep that in mind and kiss my feet, please, and all of that kind of jazz. He didn't do that, did he? Nor should we. Nor should we. If you've forgiven someone, if you've forgiven your spouse, if you've forgiven someone in the body of Christ, then you are a very larger person because of it. And you don't need to rub it in their faces how holy you are and how how much you've forgiven them for. You don't need to do all of that because God just has done that for you. God has already done that for you. Christ always forgives more and puts up with more than we ever will. Forgive as you have been forgiven. Bear with one another in love. All of those awesome verses. It holds up whether you are married or whether you are not married. The measure of God's grace to you on the cross, may that be your measure of grace to your spouse and to the body of Christ. I'm going to finish with this one verse. Colossians 3, 12 to 13. I'm going to read it in a minute. But it talks about the wardrobe that God's picked out for you. And uh, I remember we had a, a, a friend who was a couple of, a couple friend of ours. Yep, that makes sense. And uh, they're about 10 years our senior. And so they've been together a long time. And I was amazed that the wife still laid out his outfit on his bed every morning. <laughs> Does anyone do that? Is there any wives who still do that? They're too ashamed, I'm sure. But but literally, she would lay it out every morning of everything that he was to wear because he just obviously wasn't capable of doing it himself. But this verse, this these last verse that I'm about to read to you is the wardrobe that God's picked out for us. 
that He's laid on the bed for us every morning that we are to pick up and put on. He's got good fashion sense, so it's okay. We can pick up this and put it on with confidence, knowing that this is the absolute best outfit for us. Okay? So, chosen by God, that's you guys, for this new life of love, dress in the wardrobe God picked out for you. Compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength, discipline, be even-tempered, content with second place, quick to forgive an offence, forgive as quickly and completely as the Master forgave you. This is our God-ordained relationship. Marriage is a God-ordained relationship. Christ and the church is certainly a God-ordained relationship. Let's, can we just pray together now? Can, can I get you to stand to your feet because I can't? <laughs> Lord Jesus, God, we just thank you for your grace today that has just covered everything. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your forgiveness that is never-ending, that will far outweigh any kind of forgiveness that we are going to give to each other. Lord Jesus, we, we say we're sorry for any selfishness, Lord God, that we have brought into our marriage of what we want to get out of it or that we have brought into our relationship with you of what we want to get out of it. God, we are sorry. We are sorry, Lord God. We don't want to have a what can I get from you, but we want the relationship of what can I do for you? What can I give to you, God? You don't need anything, Lord but you want that oneness with us. God, we want to start afresh this morning. We want to start afresh, whether it's in our marriage, we need a fresh start, whether it's in our relationships with each other or whether it's in our relationship with you. We want to start afresh this morning. Say, God, we want to put on your wardrobe. We're starting the new day and we're putting on your wardrobe that you have picked out for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we could never, never outdo you in what you've done. Lord God, we pray that you would help us, Lord. Help us to extend ourselves horizontally for what you have done for us vertically. Lord God, help us to never run out of grace for each other. Help us to never run out of forgiveness for each other. Lord Jesus, I pray for... God ordained marriages in this place. Lord Jesus, I pray for every marriage that is represented in this room, that you would bless it, Lord Jesus, that you would make it prosper, Lord God, as we take up our roles, our God-given roles in marriage. I pray that you would just, just, just so pour your grace upon us, pour your grace upon these relationships. Lord God, and for our relationships with each other in the body, Lord God, I pray the same thing, that you would pour on grace upon those as we take up our role as the one body, as a church, as your bride, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you for the oneness that we can have in you, Lord. Praise you, Jesus. Amen. Thanks, guys. I'll let you lead us in a song.
mountains and the sea. Your river runs with love for me. Amen. Thank you, Cassia. That was a uh, gutsy topic to talk about in church. I know today's society, and even in a room with people, this amount of people, we, we all understand fully the, the diverse and different uh, experiences and backgrounds each one of us have. Just bring it down a little bit, guys. You can take your seat. We're just about to close. I'm just want to pray one more time over you it's uh yeah you know there, 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 we would be made up of many different backgrounds here this morning some people here yet to be married some people here are married and in their original relationships some may be divorced some may have never been married maybe some never will be married first second third marriages there's plenty of things just sit right there won't I? And I loved that uh, Cassia preached like that. And I hope and pray that whatever situation you are in, you haven't missed the message this morning of Christ's love for us and the lengths he will go to for us. It's amazing. I would hope that our earthly position, state that we are in, wouldn't cloud our connection with God because right through the whole Bible and even this topic of a marriage, Cassie said it beautifully, it's a metaphor. It's a picture of something greater. Now you mix grace into this. You mix the new covenant into this message. And not only Can we stand in the position of, you know, I may have messed up or I've got something, a different experience in my life, but thank you, Lord, you forgive me. That's only part of the message of grace. That's only part of the message of the new covenant. The message of grace and the message of the new covenant is as he looks on you, he sees perfection. And as he thinks about you, he wants to pour impartation and and, and, and power and authority and success into your world, now, regardless of the position you find yourself in. Don't fall back into the wrong mentality of determining what you think God has for you and His feelings towards you due to your position where you find yourself in life. That is wrong thinking. And we all need to be set free from that thinking. No one is in a better position than the other because life is just a metaphor of something greater. Amen? And whatever we've gone through, we hold on to what God has for us with two hands and know that He is good towards us and He sees perfection. Amen? So I want to pray for you this morning. I want to pray for every single one of you and especially that person or people that feels that you may not be up to some sort of standard. Because I can guarantee you that's not the voice of Christ. That's the voice of God speaking to you like He spoke to Adam and Eve in the garden. Who told you that? Who let that thinking come into your mind that you are less than? 
Cast that out this morning. That's not the voice of the Father. Amen. Lord, I pray for each and every one of us. I pray for our future. I pray for our today. We celebrate in it because you are so for us. You feel the same for us now as you did before we've made some choices in our life, before we've had certain experiences. You haven't changed the way you feel for us. And that's hard for us to comprehend, God. You saw us from the end. So your feelings don't change toward us. So I pray in the name of Jesus for you to pour out abundant blessing on each and every person in this house this morning. Make us feel like the million dollars we deserve to feel because we are married to the ultimate groom, the King who chose us especially. Just let that sink in for a moment. Let yourself feel like a prized possession, chosen above all else, above every other, you were chosen. I'm just waiting. I'm just just laboring on this point for a moment because this is far too important for anybody to leave this place feeling discouraged this morning. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Our bridegroom. The one who seeks us out passionately, who's been on a very long journey from heaven to earth to find you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. He is an amazing God. Amen. Anyone agree with me this morning? Far out. He's good. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We're going to close the service there. Don't forget to have a cookie and a cup of lemonade. And just a, a last, last minute thank you. Just a reminder last week, um, there was much food brought in for a needy family. And I think that was last weekend. It feels to me like it was months ago. Just last weekend, just wanted to thank you, Sarah, and especially wanted to express that gratitude to those that got involved and were praying for that family and believing for them for breakthrough. Um, go and enjoy your day. Have a great time. We'll see you next week. See you Friday night service this week.